spoken about being a sign to the city. We've spoken about being a congregation that is rooted in the Word of God. We've spoken about being a congregation of people who are in perpetual growth and transformation and re renewal in our lives. We've also spoken about being a church that is compassionate with those that are struggling, as we all are. A church of mutuality where we support each other, we pray for each other as we did this morning. Uh, we are patient with those who are struggling with uh, addictions and, and uh, mental strongholds and wounds of the past. And we know that's a long journey, so we are compassionate just as God is with us. And so it's, it has to be a congregation that, yes, yearns for renewal, but doesn't do it in a compulsive sort of way because we know that God is merciful and gracious as well. We don't take that for granted, but we also provide and factor in the fact that the sanctification is a long-term process, a never-ending journey. So we, we are a church also of compassion. We're also a church that seeks to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to provide space for the Holy Spirit to minister during our services, for example, as we did this morning. It takes time. We took over an hour just for the worship period, uh, quote-unquote worship, because everything is worship. We know that. But, you know, how do, how do you bring people to that place of uh, loosening up and shedding, again, those outer layers and coming to the place of intimacy? It takes time. It takes time to get into that mood, to let the mind forget about what the time and space that surrounds us and to get into the zone of eternity. It takes time. So you have to take time. You cannot um, say to God, well, God, I want you, we want you here. We want you to touch us. We want you to minister to us. But please do it in the next five, seven minutes because we've got to go on with the service. It takes time. So we, we want to be a congregation full of the Holy Spirit, seeking the power and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We want to also be a church of consecrated people, fully given to the Lord and uh, to His claims on our lives. And because we're not sanctified in the sense of being set apart and completely yielded to the Lord, then we cannot be truly effective. And then we want to be a congregation also that is evangelistic. And that's, that's where I've uh, kind of got, I won't say stuck, but I've gotten kind of held there. Because it is something that God is speaking to us, I hope to you, and to me, this urgency of evangelism. I cannot tell you, wherever we travel in New England right now, um, and, and my work with the New England Alliance and the things that we did last weekend, for example, everywhere I go, there is this uh, buzz about evangelism. God is speaking to his people about uh, evangelism, about winning souls. And there's an urgency in the air, whether it's in Bridgeport, Connecticut, or Vermont, or Rhode Island, certainly in Boston, there's this sense of urgency that we need to win souls. We need to do what God has called us to do. And you remember that last Sunday, we spoke about evangelism as the reason for being of the church. It is why we exist, ultimately. And I hope we made that clear and we supported that with the biblical evidence. Our whole identity is founded on being winners of souls. I was thinking, for example, of... Um, Peter, in that famous passage of uh, the uh, miraculous catch of fish, um, where um, uh, once, G once uh, Peter sees the glory of Christ in, in that miraculous catch, and he realizes that this can only be done by divinity, this miracle, he bows to the Lord, 
And, and he's afraid because he's seen, he's next to Yahweh, he's next to divinity itself, and he's a sinful man. And Jesus says, you know, that's okay, Peter, do not be concerned. Until now, you have been a fisher of mere fish. But from now on, you'll be what? A pastor? You'll be a missionary to uh, the Aztecs, who probably were around that, around that time? No, he says, you will be a fisher of men. That's, that was going to be his identity. And whatever he did, his apostleship, his writing of uh, two beautiful letters uh, of the New Testament, it was all around this idea of being a fisher of men. That is, fishing for what? To eat them? No, to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His whole life was going to be defined by that. And you and I are called into the kingdom to be bearers of the gospel. And churches are created as we have been here in the middle of the South End, Roxbury area, uh, close to so-called Methadone Mile, which we all have chosen to call Miracle Mile, we are here for a reason, to witness to unbelievers, to bring them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so that has been kind of uh, taking a hold of me. It has been a gradual thing, because you've heard me speak about this. But slowly, more and more, I am in despair for God to help us to be a truly effective evangelistic congregation. And I think as we become obsessed in a holy way with uh, bringing souls to Christ, He will honor us and He will find us in the middle of that journey. He will not leave us just wanting to be effective evangelists. As we continue clamoring before the Lord, as we continue in holy desperation, He will birth His gifts within us to make us effective evangelists. And that means you and I. And so I'm committed to aligning every area of the life of this congregation to evangelism. And so I don't think it's excessive if I dedicate one-third sermon, a third, one, two, three, to evangelism. Because this is important. I want to just screw that into your being. I want to structure it into your sensibility that uh, we need to be evangelistic, and we'll continue for as long as we need to. I may have one more sermon. Where, well, I will illustrate what I want to sh- share with you today. Um, I, I will illustrate it, hopefully, with um, one, one sermon on the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, where I hope that w- everything that I've been speaking about in these three sermons will become uh, graphically clear, will become absolutely uh, visual to you, in Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. We will see Jesus putting into practice all the things that uh, we have spoken about. And, and with fear and trembling, I put together a little PowerPoint re- presentation because I don't use PowerPoint very much. So this morning, I, I wasted a lot of time just doing a little bit of mechanical exploration of PowerPoint. I hope it works, and if not, that's okay. We'll just ascribe it to my, my age and my lack of technological experience. But uh, if Marlene can please uh, present. You know, uh, this, uh, as, I, as I wrote about um, the different, ooh, it's there. Can you see it? Yeah, okay, it's working. You know, as I spoke about um, these different uh, values of evangelism and, and um, uh, the, the, the reason why we should evangelize, biblical arguments, I would have said, for evangelism, it occurred to me, that yes, those, those, uh, uh, that sort of apologetic of evangelism is important. 
That is uh, proving biblically the various aspects of why we should evangelize. That's important. But I, I, important. I left one piece out, I, I thought, which is, okay, what are some of the... Okay, let's say that we are convinced that we need to evangelize. Okay, thank you, Pastor, for letting us know that. Great. Now, how, how do I put that into practice? How do I become an effective evangelism? How do I allow God to use me? Uh, and, and I realize that there are some conditions, some preconditions, some requirements that will enable us then to become effective in a life of evangelism. So I just want to point out a few of these things as quickly as I can. Number one, I think to be an effective evangelist, if you want to really, you said, okay, I need to be an evangelist. I need to live for evangelism. Our life of prayer is very important. Why? Because without prayer, you cannot be truly effective. Without prayer, you cannot uh, bring into your life the power of God. Prayer makes you receptive. Prayer sensitizes you to the will of God. Prayer allows God to speak to you. And uh, prayer makes you penetrable to uh, the insights of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is a source of power. I, I have found in my life that for me, you know, it's not so much the words that I utter as I pray, but it is simply like um, connecting myself to God and to the Holy Spirit through prayer. As I pray in the Spirit, uh, my, my battery gets recharged just directly. It doesn't matter whether I speak in tongues, whether I pray in Spanish or English, or even whether I make sense ultimately in the words that I'm saying. God is perfectly capable of hearing the, 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 uh, you know, the yearnings of my heart and my spirit. But prayer is crucial. Without prayer, you have no power. I was speaking to a young man uh, this week about that, a person who loves the Lord dearly. And uh, we, we were talking about, um, you know, certain areas of need in his life. And maybe he's even listening to the sermon. I will be very discreet, I assure you. But uh, we came to the conclusion that he, was, uh, he had um, uh, neglected his life of prayer. He was doing other things that he thought were good, you know, for, for devotional life. But I said, listen, you, you, in order for you to have to be effective, prayer is speaking with God to God and listening to Him. It's not enough to just kind of passively listen to good worship music or to kind of um, mystically meditate on God. You know, the Bible says that let your needs be known. Do not be anxious about anything, says um, the Apostle Paul. But let your needs be known. At least in Spanish, I'm translating from the Spanish. Uh, uh, before God, with all prayer and supplication, giving thanks to the Lord. It's just like that. You have to be specific when you pray. And you have to pray, Lord, make me an effective evangelist. Lord, uh, and pray for those that you want to bring into the kingdom as well. You have to make a list of people that you want to see uh, come to Christ. Your relatives, neighbors. Uh, co-workers, make a list and, and soften them, marinate them in prayer, and pray that the Lord will speak to them, that the Lord will rend the veil. Prayer breaks principalities and powers that are holding people's minds, hold, holding whole cities. And so, so prayer is important. And as I say, a life of prayer is crucial for you to generate the kind of uh, inner pressure it's like a tire. If a tire doesn't, if the air inside a tire doesn't expand it to the point that the, 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 the rubber wants to just burst, 
and it's got to be the appropriate amount of pressure, the car will not function well. And I think that's what prayer does. It expands the pressure inside of you for holiness, uh, to serve the Lord, uh, for power and authority. So a life of prayer is crucial. If you want to be an effective evangelism, you have to have a life of prayer. Okay, I could go on and on, but that, I prayed bef- I, I've spoken about prayer before. Um, so that's one area. The next um, principle uh, has to deal with our level of anointing, and which is connected to prayer. And that's why, as I just wrote down quickly these different points, uh, it came naturally. Because uh, your, you know, anointing is necessary. Power is necessary. You know what Jesus said? All power in his grand, great commission, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, teaching them all that I have taught you, et cetera, et cetera. And in uh, Acts, I believe it's 1.8, he says, but you will receive power, um, and then you will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And when you look at all of Scripture, in one way or another, even the Old Testament, Holy Spirit power is necessary to accomplish all the tasks of the gospel and the kingdom. Without power, and this is the great insight of Pentecostalism. I mean, that has been around for centuries. But uh, Pentecostalism, I think, uh, crystallized and focused on this idea of uh, supernatural Holy Spirit power for all the transactions of the Christian life. And you, you cannot do anything with the, uh, without the anointing and the power of God. But especially for evangelism, you need that authority that comes so that when your voice reaches out to somebody and you're communicating, them, uh, communicating to them about Christ, that, you will have, that your voice itself will have that kind of uh, you know, undefinable quality that people will hear the voice of the master through your voice and, fee- and hear something mysterious speaking to them. You know, the, 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 the apostle Paul spoke, he, he asked his uh, fellow believers to pray for him that he would have what? Boldness uh, to communicate the gospel. And the word boldness meant precisely that, that, you know, that courage, but also that clarity to proclaim the gospel. And, and you need, you need uh, anointing for that. And you need power. And that power comes from many of these things that I am telling you about. But prayer is one of them. But never, never sort of take for granted, well, I, I'm just sharing the gospel with somebody and that's enough. Yes, it is. Because the word of God is powerful in itself. But man, you know, if there is not that, mm, that capacity, I may have a, a, um, a uh, three-pound lead ball in my hand, but if I can't throw it, it has, has no power, it has nothing. You know, you, the, the ball itself is very heavy and very powerful, but it has to have a kinetic energy behind it to make it uh, effective. And that same, in that same way, we need the power, the anointing of God. We should be hungry for the anointing of God. As Pentecostal believers, we need to be uh, desiring to acquire the power of God. And it, just, it doesn't come with the package automatically. There is a generic power, yes, that is in the gospel, I clarify. But there is a, a, another kind of power that only comes through um, being in intimate communion with God and knowing that that power exists. 
that Jesus said, you shall receive power. You have to seek that power. He told the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from on high. And they had to do something. They had to pray in the upper room. And they, they stayed there for a long time before that power came down. And I think a lot of well-meaning Christians don't understand this area of, uh, this mysterious area of, uh, of the power of God. And maybe someday I, I, I can speak about that as well, about the gifts and, and the Holy Spirit power. There's a whole mechanical, technical aspect of uh, living in the power of God. It doesn't come just automatically by osmosis, generically. You have to know that it is there for you to receive it, and then you have to go after it, and you have to exercise your energy, and you have to take certain initiatives to receive that power. And uh, that is what a Pentecostal life is all about. You have to provide those spaces, and you have to invest uh, those energies so that you can receive that anointing. Because without that anointing, you will not be truly effective in sharing the gospel. You will not have that truly effective life. So you have to be hungry for the anointing and the power of God, okay? Again, these are very complex issues. Each one of them would take a long time, but I, I don't want to, uh, you know, just stay in one thing. Another thing, the next principle, living a consecrated life. Just recently, I spoke about this as one of the values of, uh, that we pursue at Congregation Lion of Judah, uh, consecrating ourselves, being completely committed to the gospel. Um, being sold out for the gospel, knowing that your entire life is around the gospel. Again, I was speaking with somebody this week, uh, highly um, trained, beautiful woman of God, uh, you know, loves the Lord deeply, has been around for ages in the gospel and so on, and like all of us, has uh, their own challenges. And uh, our conversation led me to ask I mean, uh, because of a comment that she made, and, and we, all ag we both agreed at, at one point of the conversation that her reason, her identity was not her, her very distinguished professional life and her great academic preparation and her success in her profession. That was wonderful, but that was not, that was not she said, you know, I, I've invested my whole life. My whole identity said, is predicated around my career. I said, ah, you know. As, as believers, we are concerned about our careers. Of course we are. And, you know, we should be excellent in what we do. But that's not who you are. You're not your career. You're not your sexuality. You're not your national identity. You're not your ethnicity. You're not the age in which you were born. You are a child of God, an eternal creature, created for the glory of God, created to bring pleasure to his heart, and created to advance the interests of his kingdom. And you, found, you find your fulfillment and your true identity in serving your father and living for him alone. This is what that rich young ruler did not understand. And so, you know, until we come to that crisis point in our lives where we have given everything, we have signed a blank sheet at the bottom, and we have given it to the Lord and said, Father, write whatever you want in that sheet. My li that's my life. Ask of me whatever you want. All my ambitions, all my desires, all my yearnings, all my appetites, all my wounds, it's all yours. There it is. All the chips that are on my table, my side. Remember those images in, of gambling? 
I'm not putting any temptation in your mind. But, you know, just take, it, take all the chips, just, just shove them all, and bet on the Lord, and give everything to him, and then let him return to you whatever he wants. So if you don't have a consecrated life, you will not be able to be a truly effective uh, um, evangelist. You will not be able to share the gospel with authority. You won't have that conviction. The Lord would probably not use you as he wants to use you. Because a consecrated life then says to the Lord, I can use this person. I've, I've always said that we minister out of the excess of our endowment, our spiritual endowment. Many people want to minister half-filled in their spiritual life, and that's not enough. I mean, you know, most Christians are like those uh, five uh, prudent um, brides in the um, parable of Jesus. They only have enough oil for themselves, and barely, but they have no oil to share with others because they only have enough for themselves. What we need as believers is to have enough oil for ourselves, all our needs, and then in overflowing. And out of that overflow, we minister to others, and God speaks to us. And so without a consecrated life that is just filled with the desire to serve God, that we have this vitality because we, we live for Him, when we have that, then mysteriously, God will begin to use us. But it doesn't come without first dying to self, dying to the world, dying to your uh, dreams, and uh, just totally committed to the Lord. That's your privilege. That's your pleasure. The interest of the kingdom of God. Most believers do not live that kind of life. And, you know, I, I probably, if I were to be honest with myself, there are areas in my own life probably that I have not given to the Lord yet in that degree. But we have to, that's, that's our direction. That's what God calls us to do. You have to have a living, consecrated life because then the Lord will take you seriously. And then the Lord will use you. And out of that consecrated life will come great moments of meditation where God will speak to you, a desire to learn the Word of God and to invest time in learning about the Word of God, a desire to be in the house of the Lord above everything else. And out of those different elements that come out of a consecrated life, then will come a fruitful, evangelistically effective life. So you have to be fully consecrated. Again, we could continue on that, but that's one other thing that is very important. The next principle that is important is that you have to, you have to cultivate in a very deliberate way, relationships that, need, that lead to evangelism. If you're a fisher of men, you have to, that's, that's who you are. It's like if you're an athlete, you're, you're a world-class athlete, or, or even you play for a college team or something like that. What do you do? Everything that you do, um, you try to, you know, you, you, your friends are other athletes many times. You are doing your exercises continually, on and on and on, and you, your relationships are around that. Well, as, as, a, as a fisher of men and women, um, you are always on the lookout. These days, I would use maybe a hunter of men. That's not a nice vision, but we're hunters to bring captives to Jesus Christ so they may have life and life eternally. So in that sense, I, let me use the image, okay? Um, it may not be politically correct, but we'll use it for the, for the advance of the kingdom. We are hunters of men. And what does a hunter do? He's always looking around for ways to get his prey. And again, praise in the best sense of the word. We want to bring people to the kingdom. And sometimes people need to be cajoled. They need to be seduced into the kingdom. Um, again, this week I had an interesting encounter with another individual. Um, 
you know, deeply enmeshed in drug use and so on. And man, it's so difficult. You know, it's like you have to, have, you have to intervene time and time again. Being an evangelist is time-consuming, especially for people who are deeply mired in uh, drugs and in sexual uh, bondage or in material, you know, uh, endeavors. You, you have to take time. You have to speak to them. You have to take time for conversation and on and on and on. You have to be on the lookout for godly opportunities when God may put somebody uh, your, your, in, in your road and uh, that may be a moment just, just to deposit something. You know, you don't have to lead them even to uh, the sinner's prayer. All that he may be calling you to do is to take a moment um, and just deposit uh, something because later on somebody else may come along and do the next uh, piece of work and then somebody else and then finally bring them to Christ. We're simply, we're sowers of the seed. Another image. We are sowing always and others are doing an additional piece of the work. The Apostle Paul says, I planted Apollos, some, another evangelist, uh, watered, but the growth comes from God. And in that image is this idea that bringing a soul to Christ is a many-faceted process. But we always have to be looking for that neighbor that um, seems to be in need for that individual in your job who seems to be open to a, uh, you know, a, a conversation about Jesus, um, to that person that seems uh, depressed, to that individual that if you just bring him, uh, you know, uh, a, a piece of uh, chocolate uh, and, you say, and you give it to them, you start a conversation or you simply say as a friend, don't even talk, tell, talk to them about Jesus you got to be aware. If you're not on the lookout for opportunities to uh, share the gospel, God will not, will not probably send those opportunities to you. When you are restless, when you are continually cultivating relationships. So everywhere you go, in your job, in your neighborhood, in your building, in, in your friendships, you have to be open because you want God to use you. So you have to be always inquiring, Lord, who can I? It's a 24-hour thing. You have to be attentive because that's your identity. That's who you are. You're a winner of souls. And so I, I imagine how many opportunities the Holy Spirit sends our way in the city of Boston over the course of a week. How many times the Holy Spirit is putting somebody in your path? How many people you know in your job or, or in your neighborhood or your friends, and we are not sharing the gospel with them? Why? Many times because of a false respect for privacy, because the enemy has uh, put fear in us, because of fear of being rejected, fear of trespassing. This uh, 21st century culture is full of barriers and boundaries that people put up. And uh, that's part of the demonic uh, system to, to break relationships from opportunities for people to share. Why? Because the gospel runs along relationships. And uh, so the more atomized, the more broken up relationships are, and the more private and closed people are, the harder it is to penetrate the, with the gospel. So we have to be especially active, especially proactive in using opportunities to share the gospel. And sometimes, you know, God delights us and surprises us with the people who we least expected. They come to the Lord. 
But unless we try, unless we're open, unless we're looking, unless we're being alert to opportunities, we will not. You, you got you to gotta look for those moments. You got to look. You have to ask Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, bring. And that's where a life of prayer comes in. Father, bring people to me or take me to them. Uh, wherever I am, open my eyes that I might see. We will see that in uh, the story of the Samaritan woman, how the Lord um, used a, an opportunity to minister to somebody that was just there. And God engineered that moment, and he took opportunity. He, he, and it wasn't the most appropriate thing to do in the light of the culture either, for a man to speak to a woman. But, you know, I, I, I've, been, <clears throat> I've been delighted at, uh, in, in times when, with fear and trepidation, I advanced uh, the gospel with someone. Uh, I was alluding in the Spanish service uh, to a, a lady who was there at that moment. And every time I see her, she's a neighbor of ours. Every time I see her, I, I count her as one of the most, uh, love, one of the loveliest uh, opportunities I've had to share the gospel cold. And not cold, it was freezing, actually, because uh, they were involved in a heavy, heavy family situation at that moment. And I, it was so urgent that I, I, I walked across the street with fear and trembling, a fear of, uh, you know, stepping into something that was explosive and being, being like a meddler. And, and I, I identified myself, you know, could I be of help? I'm a pastor. And uh, you know what was something tr truly explosive turned into an opportunity to share the gospel. And that family has been coming, came to the Lord. And this woman, delighted in love with Christ, comes and, uh, you know, she's always smiling. She's one of our most faithful, uh, years afterwards, believers and uh, members of the congregation. And, uh, you know, I was totally afraid, really, of uh, trespassing. But I dared. I saw an opportunity. I took it. And many of us can say, can say the same thing. There was a, a gentleman who came during the 10 days of prayer, a Ph.D. from Harvard, graduate Ph.D., and they had shared the gospel with him at Harvard Square, the, the group from uh, Youth of the Mission. And this uh, young person, after having, not having seen him for months, somehow uh, found out that they were having these times of prayer. He came over and was baptized in the Holy Spirit after receiving Christ right there. And, you know, you would think, wow, this, this uh, individual full of uh, knowledge and so on. Uh, but you, you got to share. You have to be alert to the opportunities. Because it all comes from that identity. It comes from that life of consecration. It comes from having that anointing that allows you to hear from God. And it comes from being alert and wanting to do it. If you're not there, then it's going to be hard. Okay? So the, cultivate relationships. Be alert to opportunities. And then there's another area that I have already alluded to, but I will isolate it for a moment so that we can think about it. You have to fight timidity and discomfort. If you're not willing to enter into that zone of discomfort where you, where you find yourself doing something that is profoundly threatening to you and profoundly against your personality, I don't think you would be able to be a good evangelist, at least in the beginning. Because what happens is that as you begin to see God back you up and honor your timid uh, approaches, uh, then you lose a lot of the fear. Because then human beings begin to seem to you what they truly are, broken, needy souls that uh, are sometimes behind an armor of supposed uh, self-sufficiency. There's, there's a father bleeding because uh, his daughter is on drugs or 
because uh, his wife uh, wants to leave him or because uh, he's going to lose his job or he's been diagnosed with cancer or he cannot sleep, whatever. Or simply, you know, he may be the most successful person in the world but feels empty. They may not be necessarily bleeding in any way, but uh, their relative health is not enough. So, um, again, in this world where everything, you know, the people have all kinds of boundaries and their defenses are up and don't invade my territory, there are gracious, um, wise ways to enter into people's lives. And all you need, again, is the discernment of the Holy Spirit. God will give you the words. He will give you the wisdom, and that's where prayer comes in and a consecrated life, on and on and on. Because all these things, they, they, they react, they play with each other. It's a whole system of attitudes. Um, but, uh, you know, the enemy in the 21st century, and beginning with the 20th, has done a tremendous job of breaking down human relationships. People live in this shell of uh, privacy and uh, isolation and self-sufficiency and false dignity, and uh, they, they emit these messages of do not trespass. And so we've been, you know, we've been programmed with this uh, prevailing system, and so we, we've been indoctrinated, and we, we're afraid. So we got to break through with that. We have to understand, yes, I'm, I'm afraid, but God wants to use me. And God wants to minister to us also. Find ways. You, you don't have to say, my son, thus said the Lord. God has spoken to me. And this is the word of God for you this morning. No, you can, you can just say, hey, how you doing? Just my name is Roberto, whatever. And I just want to say hello and introduce myself. It may be in your job or something like that. Are you new? I haven't seen you around. And just wanted to say hello and introduce myself. Something as simple as that. That may initiate a conversation. That may lead then, because it's time, in, it's time uh, intensive, that, that may be all the first time, just a brief conversation, but you've set the hook, and then comes the next. As I say that, I set the hook, you know what I think? There are people maybe here thinking, ah, but that's manipulative. You see, we become so sophisticated, so psychologically insightful in the 21st century that we trip our own selves. We Christians have become so psychoanalytical about ourselves and so much a product also of the 21st century that we are our own worst enemy in evangelizing people. Because there's nothing wrong with setting a hook if you're trying to get somebody out of hell. Uh, be, be calculating. Be uh, systemic. It's okay. It's all right. Jesus himself set up a hook, you will see, with the Samaritan woman. He, he set her up. Uh, he was very good at setting people up for the punch. And that we have to do that unless we, you know, we have to be wily as serpents and what does it say, and, and uh, meek as doves or something like that. Sometimes you have to seduce them into salvation. It has to, it has to take time. You have to have a plan. Um, but you have to fight your, your discomfort. Um, and, and you have to take time. You don't have to make the sale in the first uh, approach. It may take time. You may have to earn the uh, right to speak to their life. You know, if people are just like a little check mark, okay, check, I got this person. You know, there are Christians like that. They, they, they've converted uh, winning people to the Lord as into a game. And so they're not doing it with the right spirit. And all they want is one more notch 
in their belt. One more soul, and that is prideful. Unless you love souls, and what you do is you do out of that love, then it won't really matter. So your, your discomfort and your timidity, you, you know, you, you will take time to slowly get into a conversation that doesn't have to be confrontational right from the very beginning. And that, that will allow you then to, to speak into their lives. But you got to psychoanalyze yourself and you got to give yourself some treatment. I know I am, I am the most, I, 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 I hate to trespass. But sometimes my love for souls forces me to do it. Do you know, you know how difficult sometimes it is to make an altar call? Cold? Many pastors don't make altar calls in their churches and miss opportunities to bring people to Christ because they're afraid of uh, nobody coming forward. Because that also is a whole system that takes time to kind of ramp up. And um, unless, uh, unless you are willing to break with the timidity, it, it, it will not happen. There are many things in the kingdom that unless you are willing to go through huge psychological discomfort, you will never enter into those zones. That's what I was speaking about when I said about the mechanics of uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are people who God wants, you know, they, they want to speak in tongues, for example, or they want to feel the Holy Spirit. But um, they're so afraid of making a, a, a spectacle of themselves that they get tight and the Holy Spirit cannot flow through them. I have learned in my life that unless I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable, there's a lot of things that will not happen in my life, spiritually speaking. And unless I'm willing to make a fool of myself, they're not going to happen. And uh, because many times, you know, the first thing that God needs to break is our ego, our false uh, dignity, um, you know, our wholeness. And many of us saying, yeah, Lord, I want to I wanna speak in tongues. Yes, Lord, I want to see you. Yes, Lord, I want to receive prophecy. Uh, or I want to be a prophetic person. But the Lord says, okay, are you willing to take a risk? Are you willing to fail the first few times? Because sometimes it's the ego that needs to be broken. The first thing that needs to be broken is the ego in us. I, am I willing to be a fool for Christ? I got to ask myself that same question. So you got to fight timidity and discomfort. I could go on and on. On, on that as well. But the next one is also, and I think I've done enough with that, taking risks. Many times you have to just, uh, sometimes in a conversation, you know, you may have advanced the conversation enough to ask a person, would you like to receive Christ? Uh, you know, they may already be like ready, but you're afraid of uh, closing the deal because you're afraid that the prey will escape if you ask them. And so you hold back and say, well, thank you, God bless you. And, and you, you didn't close the sale. You got to take a risk, and you got to ask them. And then uh, be surprised, and they say, yes. What? You, you really do? You sure? <laughs> you don't believe it. <clears throat> you didn't expect them to do it. How many times that has happened to me, where I've asked somebody, would you, okay, in a conversation, would you like to receive Christ? And um, they say, yes. And I'm like, no, not true. Come on. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> you got to take risks. The Christian life is full of risks. And if you don't take them, God will say, okay, I'm going to wait until you ripen up a little bit more. The Christian life is full of decisions that we make of our will. And, and then God delights us by showing up. 
and this one I also, because I want to have a brief moment to make a couple of announcements. We have to develop a sense of urgency about lost souls. Lost souls. And that will be a part of the next one. Why don't you put the next one, Marlene, as well, because it'll be two, and I'll just condense the two. The next one, remember, uh, no, uh, ahead, go ahead. <clears throat> the next one is about heaven and hell. Um, the, the, is that it? Maybe I, the, the, yes. I'll, I'll combine the two. The fact that we need to develop a sense of urgency about lost souls. Thank you, musicians. And the next one is about heaven and hell are both real. You know, unless you have this sense of urgency that lives are being lost every day, that people are going to perdition um, every day because the gospel is not being announced to them. Now, they have heard about the gospel many times, but they have not had the opportunity to be challenged. And they will be responsible. God will not allow anyone to go to hell unless they are fully responsible and they are indictable. Um, but many times, many of those individuals could have been brought to a saving knowledge of Christ through a word of ours. Remember one of the things that I said last uh, uh, Sunday, uh, I think it's in Ezekiel 33, about uh, God says, you know, if I call you to make, give a warning to an unbeliever, to a sinner, and he, and you, and he uh, doesn't repent from his sin, I, he will be responsible for his blood. His own blood will be on his own head. But if I ask you and you do not announce the gospel, then his blood will be on your head. That's a horrible text to consider. I don't know exactly what that means totally in the light of, uh, and I've said salvation is by grace and not by works. And so I, 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 I believe, yes, that um, we don't have to evangelize people to be saved, but wow, what a great responsibility. There is one aspect which I pointed out about responsibility and accountability before the Lord about how we use the gift and the call to evangelism. People are going to hell because many Christians today are not doing the part that they need to be doing. Many churches are not doing the part that they need to be doing of evangelizing the lost. And, you know, this idea of heaven and hell, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine, a, a man who leads an organization of evangelism about that. You know, I was saying, you know why many uh, churches are not preaching the, uh, the gospel in an urgent sort of way and how many, why many Christians are not being evangelistically active? It's because subliminally, <clears throat> subliminally, in the back of our minds, hell, we have found a way to neutralize the doctrine of hell in the 21st century. Evangelicals have found very subtle, sophisticated, psychological ways of uh, muting hell. And, uh, you know, we will pay lip service to hell. And we will kind of uh, generically uh, accept the doctrine of hell. I mean, we will all, you know, we will pray about heaven. Any, we will preach about heaven anytime. Oh, because heaven is beautiful. It's politically correct. You know, God is good. God is gracious, you know. And so he heaven is easy. But hell, which occupies probably uh, as much of a space in the Scriptures and is as theologically significant as heaven, the same Jesus who spoke about heaven spoke about hell in very, very uh, insistent sorts of ways. But we, we, deep in our souls, psychologically, we, can, we have come to the point where we cannot accept the fact that there is a place where beautiful, precious souls created by God 
will have to live apart from God for the rest of eternity, dependent on what they did with the claims of Christ. And that is something that is uh, repugnant to us. And uh, 21st century culture has made it, you know, it, they, have, they insist on that. Every, so many uh, articles that you read in the newspaper, so many magazines, so much of literature is around this idea. How can I believe in a God who would allow people to go to hell? And I don't have the time to, you know. Sam Acevedo did preach a sermon about that. Look it up. You know, it, it, is a, it, is, it is a doctrine that we need to grapple with. And if that doctrine isn't uh, totally alive in you, then of course you will not be an effective evangelist. Of course you will not have urgency. Because, I mean, if they're not going to hell, I mean, then why bother if, without knowing Christ? It, it, it is, I believe, a significant element. That doesn't mean, I will clarify, that you will come to people and say, hey, you know that you're going to go to hell if you don't receive Jesus? You stop them on the street and that's your first uh, come on. No. No, it's not, for, I think for our benefit, it's, right now, it's more important than anything else. We need to be convinced that without Christ, you have no access to God. And that you need to make people aware of Christ in order for them to have reconciliation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall what? Shall not perish. Now, what does perish mean? Look it up and find out theologically and biblically. What does perish mean? Shall not perish, but rather have everlasting life. We quickly go through the perish and then settle on everlasting life. But the perish needs to be also given attention to. If you don't have that sense of urgency, then uh, the, the final thing is we need to refresh these doctrines. I, I, I as, as, a, as a preacher and as a pastor, I need to um, continually ask myself, Am I, am I, are these doctrines real for me? Okay, so these, these are some conditions. I, want, I would love for you to meditate on them. You can go back. Uh, you know, the, serv- the, the sermon will be available uh, this week uh, on YouTube. And I thank my brother, Brand for making that possible and others who work on that. But uh, you take these things, think about them, refresh them in your memory, and let's use them. Because these are preconditions for being an effective evangelist. Let's bow our head for a moment, and I want to ask if anyone here has been convicted in some way or another by any of these words, would you acknowledge it inside your heart? You say, Father, you have touched me. You have spoken to me, and I want to underline that particular teaching. I want to underline that particular principle, and Lord, I commit to practicing it and living according to it. And then I have also said that without Christ, you are lost. And if in your own relationship right now with Christ, you have not made that, that, you have not taken that step to turn on the dial tone so that you can have communication with God and you can have that sense of peace that the rich young ruler wanted to have, that you are saved truly through Christ. And you need to do that this morning. You know, I will be here. We will be here at the end of the service. If you want to come right now forward, you want to ask for prayer, we will take the time. There's no rush, really. And, and I want to invite you to do that this morning. This space is open right now, not for you to be a spectacle, but for you to be a member of the family, taking a beautiful step that is so significant before your family so that we can pray with you and celebrate with you. So I would invite you, if you haven't 
receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come forward or to raise your hand, whatever way you want, and we would love to pray for you. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge to me this morning. Help me, me, to be an effective voice for Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray that our congregation will become that powerful, powerful agent for your kingdom that we need to become and we seriously want to become. We pray for your anointing this morning. and uh, we thank